This Thacker Slate podcast is hosted by Connie Thacker and Allison Slate, two experienced attorneys who believe honesty, transparency, and knowledge are key to achieving the best legal outcomes. A variety of topics, particularly those related to sensitive family law matters, are candidly covered by Connie and Allison in a way that's refreshing, timely, and practical for listeners. I'm here with Allison, and we're going to talk to you today about spousal support, also known as alimony. We have clients um, and potential clients who ask us whether or not Michigan is a spousal support or alimony uh, state, and the answer is yes. Uh, You can get spousal support, uh, also known as alimony, and those words are interchangeable um, in the state of Michigan, and generally the amount and the duration depends on how long of the marriage and what the assets are in the actual marriage. And then the court considers a number of factors, including the past relations and conduct of the parties, the actual length of the marriage, the ability of the parties to work, the source and amount of property awarded to the parties, the ages of the parties, the ability to pay the support, uh, the present situation of the parties, which is really the lifestyle issue, along with the needs of the parties, health of the parties, the prior standard of living, uh, whether or not a party is responsible for any support of other children or other people. The court also looks to fault. Has there been an affair in the marriage? Uh, Do we have gambling addictions or sex addictions or dissipation of the marital estate? And uh, they also look at the general principles of equity and uh, if there's been uh, a cohabitation or if they're living with anyone at the time that they're going through uh, the process. I think it's important to note when we talk about spousal support that everything's a negotiation. Uh, There's no one formula for calculating what your spousal support's going to be. And I've had women come in in the past and, you know, perhaps their neighbor is getting X number of dollars per month and they're wondering why they're not getting X dollars per month and, you know, maybe her husband is a physician and, you know, the other person's is not. So really the the biggest factors in spousal support are going to be the income and also uh, the education of the parties that goes into the formula, all those quantitative factors and then the length of the marriage. Uh, the rule of thumb these days and in many courts across Michigan is that you're going to be paying it for a third of the length of the marriage. And Allison makes a good point that unlike child support, which is a formula that we have, uh, child support um, has that, but spousal support does not. So the court looks at all of those factors that we just enumerated for you And then the judge in uh, his or her wisdom will uh, provide a spousal support award. Uh, We do have programs that we can run some numbers through, but they don't take into account all of the factors such as um, the health of the parties. Uh, Our formula can't take that into consideration. What our formula does now, the computer program, we plug in the education of the parties, the ages of the parties, and the income of the parties, and we get a number. Some judges follow that number and some judges don't um, because they want to hear more information about what the lifestyle of the parties has been like. And you see some people who spend 
a lot of money and they have a lot of money in their uh, lifestyle and you see some who don't. And so the court's going to take that into consideration. But the important piece for you to know is there's no one size fits all for spousal support. It's all based upon uh, each an individual uh, person and each individual uh, family. And then, of course, there are uh, tax ramifications associated with spousal support as well. And there is sort of a quick and dirty way to try to figure out uh, what your spousal support obligation might be. Uh, I often tell people, you know, don't don't say I ever told this to you, but essentially what you would do is you would take your, whoever's the higher wage earner, you'd take that number. So let's say that the high wage earner earns $100,000 a year and the other spouse earns 50. So you'd take 100,000 and you'd deduct 50,000. So then you're at 50,000. Beyond that, what you want to do is you want to multiply it by the percentage of the num- the length of the number of years you've been married. So for this example, let's just use 12 years. So times 1.12. That gives us $6,000. That's the annual amount that you would expect to pay. And if you divide that by 12, you're looking at about $500 a month. And the big issue with uh, spousal support as it relates to taxes is that it has historically been income to the person who receives it and a deduction to the person who's paying it, which oftentimes would at least lessen the burden of the payment because you were getting a deduction for it. But as of next year, that is all going to be changing with the new tax changes and it's no longer going to be applicable in that method. Absolutely. After December 31 of 2018, you will uh, no longer have that deduction. And so I think that that's really going to change the course of and also the amount that people choose to pay. The other issue is too, is generally uh, spousal support is modifiable and the court does not have the ability to order non-modifiable spousal support. Only the parties can do that themselves. So the parties can can agree on an amount of spousal support and that it be non-modifiable in amount or non-modifiable in duration or both. So it could be modifiable in amount, but not modifiable in duration, but only the parties can reach those conclusions. Uh, The court does not have the power to make spousal support non-modifiable. And as I said before, spousal support is always uh, negotiable. And so there is what we call alimony in gross, which would be a lump sum payment, which would buy out your spousal support obligation. So oftentimes we might see that in additional 401k funds being transferred to one spouse or the other, or perhaps uh, one spouse not having to buy the other spouse out of the equity in the marital home. Uh, There's a lot of ways to structure that. So like we said, it's always a negotiation. And oftentimes we see the judges uh, have differences as well on whether or not remarriage is um, uh, a factor. Once one of the parties gets remarried, is that enough to terminate uh, the spousal support? A lot of that depends on the negotiations of your case. And oftentimes lawyers will ask that spousal support terminate upon remarriage, death, or cohabitation but not always. And we have some judges here in Kent County that think that just because you've been remarried doesn't mean that it should terminate it. It is, however, an opportunity to review the spousal support. And once you have the number and you arrive at the figure that is going to be paid every month, then you have the collectability of it. So we have what's called the friend of the court, and they're an entity of the court that is there to enforce support payments. So if you're going to, you might hear your lawyer say, 
Are we going to opt out of the front of the court or stay in the front of the court? If you stay in the front of the court, they're going to assist in collecting your spousal support. You can choose to opt out of the front of the court, but in that instance, you would have to hire a private attorney in order to collect it in the event it's not paid. And the other aspect of it is, too, is once your spousal support is set, if you're going to then go in and ask for a modification, assuming that you have modifiable spousal support, that's going to look like a little trial. And it's going to have a hearing and there's going to be witnesses and all the financial data is going to come in and the judge will decide whether or not the spousal support is going to be modified either upward or downward or uh, for a period of time. But generally we see the courts, if the court's going to order it, it's going to remain open and they're not going to be able to set a duration on that spousal support. So that's one really big reason why you want to negotiate your spousal support so that it doesn't end up being permanent to the extent that you then have to go back into the courthouse all the time and try to get it modified. There are risks with both. I mean, if it's non-modifiable and you lose your job, you're still on the hook for that payment so that you have to think about those considerations. And the other big issue with uh, spousal support is it's non-dischargeable in bankruptcy. So once you have that obligation, you can't just decide later you want to file bankruptcy and no longer pay it. And that's the same thing with child support. Child support is also non-dischargeable in bankruptcy. So that's just a little primer on the spousal support issue. It can get even more complicated than than that, particularly in the event that there's a gray divorce or, you know, which would be a divorce where the parties are in their 60s and perhaps they're on the verge of retirement. And what does that look like and what's the number and how long should it be paid in those circumstances? But if you're someone out there listening and you have a spousal support obligation that hasn't been paid, you might want to give us a call because Allison and I also own a collection agency. And the whole uh, idea of forming the collection agency was to better help our clients and others collect their child support, spousal support, and their property settlements. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Thacker Slate podcast. If you have additional questions, do not hesitate to contact us at 616-888-3810 or visit our website, thackerslate.com, for additional information. 